Um, so I'm going to talk about when I was born. I was a small child. Now, I'm going to fast forward a little bit on that. I, I started going to church in, um, in the uh, late 90s. Actually, when I was in Nashville this weekend, I saw a movie at, um, at a place in Antioch, and it was where I had my very first date. I was like, wow, this looks even junkier than it used to. Um, so uh, moved here, started going to church, late 90s, and while I started going to church, the culture of worship started changing. I wasn't ever involved in church um, way back when, and so I never noticed that the culture was changing. I just knew contemporary service. Um, and so as churches are, were shifting and started talking about we need to be having a contemporary service, um, people got frustrated. And I don't, I don't blame them because our cult culture shifts. And when those shifts happen, the church has to kind of play catch up. And it's not a bad thing. It's not a good thing. It's just a thing that happens. Because if we all were wearing bell bottoms, it was really cool in the 60s and 70s. But as the 80s and 90s started rolling around, it starts getting a little, uh, bell bottoms are kind of old. And then if you wait around long enough, things come back into, into style. But the, the frustrating thing about the gospel is that if you do that, if you're not culturally relevant to a group of people, that culture will come back into style but you miss an entire generation in the process, and we can't afford to miss generations with the gospel. Um, so culture was shifting, worship was shifting, and a lot of, um, a lot of the reason why that was shifting, um, before the uh, late 90s, uh, there was a group uh, called the Vineyard Fellowship and, um, and uh, Calvary Chapel out in uh, Yorma Linda, California, started doing like worship. We're just gonna like get a guitar out and just worship the Lord, man. Like that's when Bob Dylan got saved because Bob Dylan is amazing. Um, and th the hippies started in invading the church, and so it changed the way that we do worship. Well, um, Victory, or not Victory, Vineyard Fellowships had a church in uh, Toronto, Canada, and God really started moving in, in a church up in uh, Toronto, and they were saying, like, hey, this is a major revival that's happening. And they had, like, guitars on stage, and people were wearing sandals, and they were just like hanging out with the Lord. And that's when hymns started fading or to the wayside. Um, and then uh, something was going on a few years after that in Brownsville in uh, Pensacola, Florida. And God used these two main uh, quote-unquote revivals and over the course of a, a few years really changed the way that we do worship. The way that we do worship, you can trace back to uh, the Vineyard Fellowship churches. Well, um, Sometimes when culture changes, it can be frustrating. It can rub us the wrong way. I don't like it when anything changes. I have a friend that we repainted a wall one time, and this person started crying because change happened, and like the world, you know, came unglued. And, and so what people thought of as revival, like if you just ask some generic uh, Protestant churchgoer in the 70s, what is revival to you? Um, more than likely, you would get images of like a weekend uh, meeting or like maybe even like a week of meetings and they'd be focused on like okay we need to spiritually reawaken ourselves like you get like a, a shot in the arm this past uh, spring I had my first steroid shot because of sinus stuff man why don't people have those every day I was like I feel like I can tackle the world 
Well, have you ever had that happen like spiritually? You know, like you get your, uh, your spiritual shot in the arm. Or revivals would be evangelical. They would be focused on getting people that don't go to church in, into the church. But they're, they're temporary things. Well, when uh, stuff started going on in Toronto, when stuff started happening in Pensacola, people's attitudes about what revival was started shifting. Uh, it no longer um, had to be just a couple of days of like, all right, we need to get the juices flowing. They started being able to think about like, History can be transformed by this. The way that we process how we live out our faith can be changed because of this. And it started taking on the, the idea of revival like it used to be in like the first and second great awakenings. That a revival could literally be the hinge on which the entire door of history changed. Okay, And so anytime that we start changing our... Um, our focus and our culture, our language starts changing. So when people would say like, man, God, we just need revival in our city today, we no longer talk about we need a couple of weekend meetings that everybody gets all like whipped up into a frenzy. What we need is these huge changes about the culture of the way we do church, the way that we do life out in the community. We need these huge changes to take place. Well, when we, our language starts changing, what we pray about starts changing. Have you ever noticed that? Like, as you have matured in your faith, what you focus on in your faith starts changing. Does that mean that, like, what you focused on last year is not important anymore? No. We're just over here right now. We're focusing on this. Like, yes, calculus might be important to you right now, but in this class, we're talking about English. And so it's not that we, we discount what God did in the past. We don't discount what God did last year, but just right now we're focusing on this. And when I was growing up in church, what we were focusing on was revival. And so what people started praying about changed. We started praying for revival. God, this is in revival. We need to get us some of that revival. Uh, they might have it at like KFC, like, do you have any revival on the menu? I would love some more revival. Um, prophetic words started mirroring that. People would start standing up and saying, there is a coming revival. Like, Yay. Okay, well, there's this revival that's coming. Like, can't wait. Is the revival here? No, nope, the revival's not here yet. And so what it started doing was started pushing the promise of God's power into the future. Well, why is my family not getting saved? Well, we don't have the revival yet. It's like going from a black and white TV to the color TV. It's like, well, we don't have HD yet. Your gaming system can't work. You can't play Blu-rays because you've got a CTR TV. I'm sorry, your technology hasn't caught up. Our spiritual technology hadn't caught up. Like, uh, can't get anybody saved today. You don't have the revival yet. Oh, God, send revival, please. Can we just, can we have a drip of it? Like, can you give just a wedge of like a crusty heel of bread of revival so that my family members can get saved. Well, why did so-and-so not get healed? Well, they didn't get healed because we don't have the revival yet. Man, how good is life going to be when, once we get that revival? Once we get that HDTV, man, my entire life's going to get changed. And so what happened, now, and let me say this, like, us desiring God to do supernatural things is a good thing. It's the reason why we pray the Lord's Prayer like, God, your kingdom come, your will be done right here, right now, just like it is in heaven. We believe that God is, is in the mood and he's in the business of changing our lives. 
Um, so we pray that God would do things in our world, but when we, when we push God's promises off into the future, we rob the present of anything happening. So I don't expect God to heal somebody, or I don't expect my family members to get saved because we just don't have that revival yet. And as a young believer, I started asking the question like, okay, when do I get to use my superpowers? Have you ever read the Bible and it's like, well, it says that I have the ability to love, but for some reason, I feel like Superman that doesn't quite have his, like, I can jump, I can leap long buildings or tall buildings in a single bound, but I can't quite fly yet. Like, there are things about the faith that just, they're not, they're not working yet. And so when we push the promises of God off into the future, we rob the present of power. And what happens during that, we start developing really junky doctrine. So in my mindset, we don't have the revival yet. Can God give the revival? Yes, God can give the revival. Well, he's not. Why is he not? I start developing a, a mental attitude. I would never say this out loud for fear of getting hit by a bolt of lightning. But man, God seems real stingy. You ever seen two kids fighting over a toy? And as an adult, what do you say? Share your toy. Give the other person a turn. Well, why does God not have to share his toys with me? Maybe it's because I'm not working hard enough. Maybe I'm not being that spiritual. And that's, that's the funny logic that starts getting in, and it's, it's junky doctrine. To think that God is withholding something from me because I'm not sweating hard enough, that looks like law. Like, well, I'll be nice to you. I'll get your family saved once you've fasted enough. Well, how much do I have to fast? Like, do, do I have to fast a day? Like, a week. How about, like, 60 days? Do I have to fast 60 days to get God to be nice to me? And obviously, no. Like, I'm, I'm saying that in a way to, to communicate that that's, that's not how God operates. Um, and when I started thinking about God withholding the source of power, the source of my family getting made right, the source of people getting healed, well, who wants to serve that God? I don't, I'll wake up in the morning. I don't know if he's going to be in a good mood today. I don't know if we're going to have the revival today or not. And everything is like to fate or to chance. And if something doesn't work right, well, who sinned? Has your car ever stopped working and the enemy put a thought in your mind? Well, what did you do wrong? You must have made God mad. Because if God liked you, your car would always work. Well, you didn't get a front parking spot. Well, what did you do wrong? If you were really living like God wanted you to, you'd have a, a front row parking spot every time. And you had to park in the back, so you must have made an angel mad. Um, and so as we get into our text, and we've not even opened up the Bible yet, and we've gotten all serious. Um, as we get into our text, it's a mirror image of what God's response was to the nation of Israel when they were in this rut of like trying to make God happy, of like, come on, give us the Messiah. We'll be good, I promise. Like, I'll, I'll clean up after the puppy. I'll clean up after the revival. Just give us the, the revival, and we'll take care of it. Give us the Messiah, and we'll take care of all of our problems. All of our problems are going to get solved one day when God does this thing way off in the future. Um, and before we get into that, I, I do want to confess something. Um, I am not a cynical person, but periodically I can really act like a cynical person. It's not my identity, it's not who I am, but I can really put on the mask of a cynical person. Um, and when we're talking about um, issues in the mainstream uh, Western church, it's easy for us to sit back on the sidelines and just nitpick and be like, 
you're wrong. Um, like, for instance, um, I was talking to somebody, um, this has been years ago, um, and this guy came up to me and went, well, brother, God's good. And I went, yep, yeah, he is, yeah. And the guy, like, sighed. <sighs> you ever been sighed at? <sighs> Who do you think you are sighing at me? He went, all the time. And all the time, I went, yep, he, he's good all the time. I didn't know that. <laughs> I had never heard that before. And I got in trouble for not finishing the Christian riddle. He said, God is good. I went, yep, <sighs> all the time. And all the time. Well, I said, yep. <laughs> he is good all the time. Yeah, I agree with you. And he went, <sighs> God is good. I'm like, you crazy person. Like, who says stuff like that? to somebody. So, A, don't do that to me. Don't, like, if I don't know the end of, like, your Christian riddle, don't make me feel bad about that. And so, what happens to my heart, like, if I am around somebody walking out their faith and it doesn't feel sincere or it doesn't feel real, I shut off real quick. And, and so many people in my generation look at the church and see a bunch of people trying to act like they've got it together, and it doesn't feel real, it doesn't feel sincere. And so whole generations of people just put a wall up because we're not being real. So it is easy for me to sit on the sidelines, and I, I work at a church, <laughs> like I'm in the middle of it. And it's easy for me to be like, well, the way you do this is wrong, the way you do this is wrong, like I get that. But today, like I wanna invite everybody, like let's, let's put down the uh, magnifying glass like, let's not use the scripture as a magnifying glass to like, yeah, you are wrong. Like, let's look at it as a mirror. Like, oh, when am I not sincere? When am I trying to impress God with my Bible knowledge? And like cutting closer to the bone, how many times do I try to impress God with my laid back attitude? I'm not one of those super religious people. I'm a cool religious person, which is just as much a hypocritical as me putting on this big, I am super spiritual of me going like, I'm super non-religious. I'm a man of the people. There's, it's no different. And so I can look in the mirror of scripture and see just as much funky, junky stuff in me as I can with other people. So um, the background of, of what we're going to get into, um, we're going to read Isaiah 58. And we're going to read almost the whole chapter, but no one get frustrated. It's poetry, so it's short, so... Like, everybody can uh, take a deep breath. Um, Israel, um, in, the, in the time that this was being written, had their religious game, like, on point. You ever seen someone that had, like, their religious game? Like, I've got my religious game. They know all the words to say. They know when to say them. I know how to comb my hair the right way. I know how to do, like, the Pentecostal two-step during worship. Like, I know all, the, like, the touchdown Jesus. The, like, have you ever done this in worship? This is something that, this is free. It's not my notes. Um, the Holy Spirit calls me out on this all the time, like in worship, like if just worship is just going amazing, for some reason my face does this. It looks real spiritual, doesn't it? And I will hear often, like I'm in worship in the Holy Spirit, I'm like, what smells bad? Nothing. Why do you look like something smells bad? Can you smile? Yeah, but that doesn't seem like a normal reaction to worship. Worship, Ah, okay, so uh, Israel had their religion game 
on point. Oh, no, I went too far. Because it's my fault. Technology never messes up. It's never the iPhone's problem. It's always my fault. Okay, so um, we're going to start reading in verse uh, 2. This is Isaiah prophesying to the nation of Israel um, for getting a little bit too high on their horse. Yet they act so pious, starting in verse 2. They come to the temple every day and seem delighted to learn all about me. They act like a righteous nation that would never abandon the laws of God. They ask me to take action on their behalf, pretending that they want to be near me. We have fasted before you, they say. Why aren't you impressed? We have been very hard on ourselves, and you don't even notice. Notice that the same junky thinking started creeping into Israel. I'm working myself to the bone. I'm like, I'm whipping my back. Aren't you impressed, God? And so obviously we can see parallels between this attitude and hypocritical mainstream church. Not that mainstream church is hypocritical, but the hypocritical section in mainstream church. Like, God, we're doing all these impressive things. Why aren't you impressed? Um, do you ever feel like God's not noticing you? Do you ever like, God, I'm working all this time and like you're giving me nothing, God. I give to you everything you dump on me. Why is the world out to get me? Well, Israel's going through this. We have, we've sacrificed everything that you've told us to do. We've jumped through every hoop that you've put in front of us. Why are you not noticing? And God responds, well, I'll tell you why. God admits that he's not been noticing to him. So like we in the church, we would always say like, I just don't feel like God's noticing me. And we would always say, well, of course God's noticing you. I just feel like God's not near me. Well, of course God's near you. But he's going, I'll tell you why I'm not near you. <laughs> like, I'll, I'll tell you why I'm ignoring you. Have you ever had uh, two kids fighting in a corner and watch the parent, like, leave them at Walmart? <laughs> like, they're fighting. It's like, go find somebody else's parents, man. Um, well, God's kids are having a temper tantrum. Meanwhile, God's going, I'm going to be over here. I'll tell you where I'm going to be. When you get done with your little temper tantrum, you can come hang out with me. So uh, he says uh, in verse 3, I'll tell you why. Um, it's because you are fasting to please yourselves. Have you ever done a, a spiritual action? And really, it's just so that you can look impressive. Have you ever, like, practiced where your hands go in the mirror? You've done it. Don't lie. It's not just me. Look how spiritual I look. You're fasting to please yourselves. Even when you fast, you keep oppressing your workers. Why would he bring that up? What's, what good is fasting when you keep on fighting and arguing? What kind of fasting, or this kind of fasting will never get you anywhere with me. How about that? Like, if you want to go down this road, you are never going to get to me. You humble yourselves by going through the motions of penance, or like you look like you're sorry. You bow your heads like reeds bending in the wind. You dress in burlap, cover yourselves with ashes. Is this what you call fasting? Do you really think this is going to please the Lord? Because we think that if we act pitiful enough, God's going to help us. That he doesn't actually know what's going on in our lives. So we have to construct this big, long sob story about why God needs to come, like, save us out of, a, out of an issue. But what is the main things that he, he brings up? The issues that God has with the nation of Israel, that they were fasting to please themselves. They were self-centered. They were oppressing their workers. Why does workers' rights come into it? They were fighting and arguing. 
You ever seen a fight break out at a church? And you are doing all this stuff to look the part, but your heart's not, not in it. Okay, so someone that's self-centered, a pain to work for, always fighting and arguing, and super concerned about their looks. So we have, in ancient Israel, the first Kardashian family that has shown up right here. And what the way we describe this behavior is immature. Is there anything necessarily like evil about it? No, it's not evil. It's just immature. Like I said, have you ever seen two kids fighting over a toy? They think the entire universe revolves around them. They're bossing their parents around. Have you ever seen a kid boss their parents around or a parent around? Like my mom was amazing, but I, like any time that I hear like a kid back talk, like no, I flinch because <laughs> I think like some like my mom's hand is going to come out of like nowhere and like hit me. She she doesn't hit me anymore. <clears throat> uh, have you ever seen a kid that won't won't share? We call all this behavior immature. Israel is being immature. They think in their maturity, their spiritual maturity, they're being immature. I want, I want to confess something to you. Like I work with um, high school and junior high, and um, ignore this earmuffs. Sometimes you can see immature behavior in, in teenagers or in middle school kids, um, and this is not going to be a funny thing. Um, unfortunately, every person in this room our coping skills do not mature past the coping skills that we learn in junior high. They change. The way we throw our temper tantrums different. Have you ever seen someone that didn't get their right ranch dressing at Zaxby's and a 70-year-old person have a temper tantrum? Have you ever seen, like, two people fighting in Walmart over something? It, it is an incredibly hard truth to look in the mirror and go, I am not much more mature than a middle schooler. They're more honest about their feelings, but we still kind of do the same things. So I want to confess that in front of everybody here. I am shockingly immature when it comes to matters of faith, when it comes to matters of other human beings in the world. I am incredibly immature sometimes. Would you be able to confess that to the Lord? Confess it to somebody else like, honey, I'm mature, and your spouse is going to go, took you long enough. When we see our, mature, our immaturity, that's a step in the right direction. We can't change anything unless we start going, come to realize that my life is unmanageable. And the first step is to admit, I need help here. I need to have a friend to come in and go, buddy, you're ruining everything. Like, I know, help me. Okay, so the first thing that we do is we confess our spiritual immaturity sometimes. Okay, and, uh, and going on in the, the next verse. Verse 6, God lists off in verse 5, these are the things that I get frustrated about. God's slow to anger, but he can get frustrated with us sometimes. In verse 6, no, this is the kind of fasting I want. So God says, don't go this way. This way will not get you anywhere closer to me. Go this way. Well, what's he, what's he talking about? He's telling us the direction to go. Is anybody else excited? I'm so excited. This is the direction to go uh, with God to get something to happen. All right? Free those who are wrongfully imprisoned. That doesn't seem spiritual. He doesn't say read your Torah. He doesn't say fast. He doesn't say 
kill other people that worship different gods, the first thing that God mentions is free those that are wrongfully imprisoned. The justice system in the community. Lighten the burden of those that work for you. Again, workers' rights. Let the oppressed go free. Remove the chains that bind people. And obviously that does reference slavery, but it also references a lot of other things. Have you ever seen someone that's shackled in slavery economically? You ever seen the cycle of like payday loans that people just get caught in this rut? They can't ever pay, pay it out. Get, someone gets uh, caught in uh, court fines and they're always just paying the interest on the court fines and when they're late for this court fine, they get charged a whole nother set and there are people in our community right now that will never get out from underneath that. Free, remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry. Give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those that need them. Don't hide from your relatives that are in need. God lists off huge verses. And I don't know about you, but when I go to this list, I don't feel condemned. I don't feel God beating me up, but I feel incredibly sober when I read that. What does God expect of me? I can impress God with my fasting and my Bible knowledge and all that stuff, but what am I doing to actively engage with the justice system in our community to help free those that are wrongfully imprisoned? Do we even know who's wrongfully imprisoned? How do you find that out? What am I doing to lighten the burden of those that are working for me? Am I a pain to, to be around? Am I a pain to work with? What can I do to let the oppressed go free? Why well, I have to go meet somebody that's oppressed? I have to open up my eyes, get, get my mind and my attention off of my toy that I don't want to share with anybody, and I have to actively look for somebody that's being oppressed systematically by our culture. Remove the chains that bind people. I need to go find some hungry people to share my food with. I could stand to share my food with somebody else. I can welcome somebody else to my table. Give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those that need them. Don't hide from your crazy Uncle George when he needs to borrow your weed eater again. That doesn't seem, that doesn't seem spiritual at all to me. But God's saying, this is the stuff that I focus on. We can, we can memorize Bible verses until we're blue in the face. And it's, you know, tomorrow's Memorial Day. A lot of people are on vacation. This is not meant to be heavy and intense, but at the same time, like, if we are going after the things that God's going after, we need to listen to what he is passionate about. This reminds me of Matthew 25, when he starts saying, like, hey, if you want to be spiritual, you visited me when I was in prison. You clothed me when I was naked. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. And then God's family is going to say, when did we ever see you like this? And then Jesus, at the end of everything, says, Whatever you, or however you treat the people in your community that everybody else forgets, that's how you treated me. All right? So um, what is the response to that? So if we start focusing on 
freeing people from chains. If we start focusing on these social issues, what happens? What's the uh, end result of us focusing on this? Well, I'll tell you, it sounds a whole lot like that revival stuff that we've been praying and fasting for. Um, verse 8, then your salvation will come like the dawn. Have you ever felt like you were in darkness? Your salvation will come like the dawn. Your wounds will quickly heal. Your godliness will lead you forward, and the glory of the Lord will be your protector from behind, your rear guard. The, the literal presence of the Lord has your back. If you're focusing, if you are making a priority for the things that God makes a priority. How about this in verse 9? When you call, the Lord will answer. Well, how about that? I'm here. He will quickly respond. When we are focusing, we are, when we are prioritizing the things that God prioritizes, all of a sudden, the functions of rev revival happen in front of us. People get saved. People get healed. Um, illumination occurs. People come into the kingdom. They have a, a, an impact with the kingdom of heaven. And how did that happen? By us spending like days and days and days and hours and hours and hours in the prayer closet? No. Is that bad? No, it's not bad. Please pray. Pray. Please pray. But at the same time, go free the oppressed. Go loosen the chains that bind people. Be kind to your employees. Go find somebody that's hungry. And I promise you, if you start feeding the hungry, the kingdom will have more of an impact in our community than you spending your entire life cloistered away in a monastery. How good would it be to be assured of the presence of the Lord? Go find the people that are broken. Go find the people in our community that everybody else has forgotten and start championing those people. Um, the Bible says that those that give to the poor lend to the Lord and he will repay. And he also says somewhere else, be careful when you're oppressing a poor person because they don't have an advocate. They can't afford a lawyer, so their advocate is the Lord and he will repay. <laughs> oh, I don't think that we're bad to poor people. I, that, like that's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is like, can we shift our culture to reprioritize the things that God sees as a priority? And as a recap, he finishes off the chapter basically saying everything that he just said again. But can we personalize it? Verse 9, Justin, remove the heavy yoke of oppression. Hey, Justin, stop pointing your finger and spreading vicious rumors. Justin, feed the hungry. Justin, help those that are in trouble. Justin, then your light will shine out in the darkness, and the darkness around you will become as bright as the noonday sun. The Lord will give, to me, or give guide to me continually, giving me water when I am dry, restoring my strength, and I will be like a well-watered garden, like an ever-flowing spring. When I put my priority on the thing that God is passionate about, the broken, the hurting, the lost, the, the, the ones that nobody else wants to be friends with, when I make that a priority, all of these amazing things happen. Do we do that to make all these amazing things happen? No. And doing it in our own strength is not, is not good enough either. We have to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to love on somebody. So uh, let's go ahead and stand. We can get out into our uh, families and our communities. But we need God to open up our eyes that we are able to see the world, our community, people that are in our jail systems, the way that God sees it. 
So, Father, we come to you today, how we ask that we would be able to borrow your eyes, that, Jesus, that we would be able to see our community here in Cookville and Allgood and Baxter and, uh, and all the surrounding areas the way that you see them. God, open up our eyes that we would see gaps in our care. God, show us the oppressed in our community. God, show us the poor in our community and give us resources, um, creative solutions. God, break us out of our routines and our ruts, Lord. God, this uh, week, this season, this month, this year, this decade, Lord, allow us to reprioritize, to shift our culture, to still be going for revival, but do it in a way that prioritizes the things that the kingdom prioritizes. God, show us how to love the people in your family the way that you love them, God. God, I pray that you would supernaturally empower all of us, that we would have the mercy, the compassion, the, the grace to not hide from family members that are in need even the really, really annoying ones. God, and it takes a miracle, God. We ask that you would, you would move from heaven down to earth, God, that your kingdom would come, your will would be done, just like it is in heaven, in my life, in this church's life, in our community, just like it is in heaven, God, that we would be the change agents in our communities. Lord, we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.